Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Property Pros Podcast. I am Mark Goldwich. Peter LaFramboy. We are public insurance adjusters in Jacksonville, Florida, but we're interested in all things property. Today, we have a great guest for you. Her name is Lisa Massis. She is founder and president of Lofty Asset Management. Lisa, how about if you take a couple of minutes, tell us about yourself and Lofty and what you do. Sounds great. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. I'm Lisa Massis with Lofty Asset Management. We're a real estate investment uh, management development firm out of Jacksonville. Uh, we have properties across North Florida. Uh, we've worked in Georgia, Central Florida. Uh, we typically focus on Class C assets, 1970s, 80s builds, though we did spend several years in new construction, development, lease-ups. Uh, we find it all fun. Uh, we are generally considered the ambulance chasers of property management, and we love the title. Uh, interesting times to be in the industry so every day is a fun ride well yeah it's funny that you say interesting times let's give everybody perspective so somebody watches this years from now the year right now is 2021 we're in the fall and there's a absolute buying frenzy all over the country but specifically here in Jacksonville we've talked about this in the past and we briefly brought it up a few minutes ago uh, when we first started here our particular region we see a lot of growth here in Jacksonville. What what is what are you seeing with the data research that you're doing? Uh, Jacksonville is just on top of every every market you look at, and most recently, every study you look at. Most recently, I mean, LinkedIn put out a study about more professionals. I mean, that seems to be Jacksonville started in 2016, oddly, which didn't get a lot of attention. In 2016, we had like our largest growth. And it's not even just Jacksonville, it's Jacksonville and like the five metropolitan areas surrounding Jacksonville, all of which kind of have their unique uh, styles and attributes that, that make them appealing for various reasons. Um, and since 2016, it has been consistent and has just blown up. And I think, you know, from the start of COVID, it kind of gave people time and, and maybe some opportunity to make some changes, which maybe is the reason we're seeing this, this just expedited rate of, of people flooding to Jacksonville and Florida overall. I mean, Florida overall is like 22 states of the country. Note Florida is the, the number one loss of their residents go to Florida. I mean, 22 states, that's huge. One out of every eight people in the country leaving their home state is coming to Florida. And, you know, of that, it's, it's like 36%, I believe it is, that is, is coming to the greater Jacksonville area for an abundance of reasons. I mean, the average cost of living in Jacksonville is still like 16% lower than, than the median for, for the US. That's very appealing, no state taxes. Employment has, here since the 90s, we have been in like the top three to five of, of best places for employment. You know, I think that the average is like three hours to find a job here and- Oh my gosh. Three hours, that's what it is. I think I read one not about a week ago. It's like 2.25 hours to find a job here. I mean, there's not too many places in the US that you can find that. And even within Florida itself, you know, there's a the study that was done as top 10 areas sending residents to Jacksonville. On that list of the top 10, six are in Florida that are moving to Jacksonville. Uh, Miami is seeing a huge loss of their population. We're grabbing a great bit of that. We're also just grabbing people from smaller towns throughout Florida, smaller towns in Georgia, uh, 
And then you kind of got these far stretching effects that are coming from the Northeast in huge droves. And those who live here see it, you know, we're stuck in traffic and there's New York tags everywhere, New Jersey tags, a lot of Delaware. I mean, we're, we're, we're getting a big piece of that pie. Um, and the question becomes who is coming here and what kind of housing from my perspective and what we do for a living, what should we be trying to, to present? What, what is this market going to need? And it is more middle class housing. We do not, we are not, even with the enormous growth of new construction, we're not even coming close to meeting the demand of people that are coming into this market and the people that are anticipated to continue to stream in here. Um, and then when you look at the demographics of these people moving into the market, the housing that's available and coming available, the new product that's being put out there, there's just a gap between what these people can afford and what we're producing. And you know, we spoke briefly on it earlier. It's not for a lack of space or a lack of Jacksonville's huge. Duval County is enormous. We clearly have the space. We have old space. We have old office that's not doing great in areas that you know are not seeing a huge rise in office. And COVID, I believe, exacerbated the office, the straining on on office space, which is consistently in Jacksonville been like the lowest valued retail out there has been office space. Uh, next to that, you know, is retail space. So we have all this in these various sub-markets where housing is in high demand, but there's not necessarily a high demand for office space or retail, brick and mortar retail. Uh, and with COVID pulling everybody and giving everybody kind of a new perspective of, oh, I can send my people home to work and not incur that cost. I feel like it's even more so created more availability in, in the office space. So I think our city has to get, I mean, don't get me wrong, developers are doing a phenomenal job putting up new class A, new construction, everything's beautiful, luxury, you know, or $1,450, $1,500 a month for one bedroom, some as much as $2,000. Um, the people coming into the submarket who are making $42, $48, you know, average median household is like $61. That's not where they're going to be looking. And I, I think that's where we've got to do the better job of catering the type of housing that we're putting into this market to accommodate these people so that we can continue to receive them. Otherwise, we're going to end up in a housing situation where we've got an abundance of one and not enough of another. Um, so I'm hoping more people are starting to identify the need and we'll start kind of getting creative on ways to accommodate these folks coming in. Lisa, what do you see as the disconnect there? Um, I mean, the these people who are supposed to be putting out the properties, building them, renovating them, converting them, whatever it is, there's, you know, theoretically, they're the ones who are looking, forecasting five years ago and saying, this is what's coming. So this is what we need to do. From your perspective, what's the disconnect? I don't know if it's a disconnect as much as it's pretty on paper. You know, new construction, luxury properties, the difference between building, uh, you know, what I would call a B property and an A plus property is a difference of probably, what, 9% in construction costs. I mean, you're upgrading appliances, countertops, light fixtures. The bones are going to be the bones. You're going to incur that cost either way. So when they're looking at dollars and cents, obviously it makes sense. Why not spend the extra 9%? The difference in rent is, is going to, you know, equate to 23 to 30 um, by adding those bells and whistles. So I think that's where we've got to get more creative and saying, okay, how can we keep these construction costs down to make it more appealing for these developers, people like me, people like you to move in a different direction, to not just be awed by these luxury class A rental rates, 
um, and start considering how to bring down these construction costs, whether it be repurposing these old spaces or looking at some of these new creative, uh, new construction methods um, to bring in and to, to supply what this population is going to need and gonna to continue to need. Additionally, they're the kinds that stay. So it pays for themselves because I think over the long haul, you end up with less turnover. Uh, you're not leasing new construction, luxury housing tends to draw those, they're eyeing purchasing. They're here, they just moved here. They wanna figure out what area they wanna be in, what schools do they want their kids to go to. They're gonna stay there for a year, maybe to sign a contract to build a house, put something under contract that exists. And then you're gonna lose them to the ownership market. Congratulations to them. The more middle-class housing, those residents stay. They're not eyeballing purchasing a home in two years. You know, they're, it's like a 10-year plan for most of them. So why not accommodate them? Those are your mortgage payers. Yeah, I agree 100% on that. I mean, um, I lived through Columbus, Ohio, when it went through explosive growth in the 90s and the early 2000s. And so I left around 2010 to move down here, 2012, whatever it was. But there, you know, we had the university, we have lots of Fortune 500 companies. And here, even though I've lived here for so long, I'm not sure what the draw is. Do you know what the draw is? Besides no property tax. I'm not saying, look, look, we have, we have nationwide insurance. We have, we have the limited brands. There's, there's so many Fortune 500 companies up there. Here, I'm, I'm not know how many we actually have. No, but you know, all the studies show that people don't move here for like eyeing a, an industry. Well, other than medical, I mean, me medical industry kind of draws its own and we always kind of set it aside from when we look at these studies, people move here for lifestyle, which is completely different. If you look at these studies, you know, in relation to Columbus, so Ohio, you, you see some completely different people move there for the economy of it. Like they're thinking yeah, on a scale of economy, how does that financially suit them and apply to their life? That is not necessarily the case for Florida. You know, the average person who moves out of state, it's like 40% is considering housing. Not necessarily for Florida. Florida, it's about lifestyle. It's about they want to improve their circumstances. And when they consider, oh, there's no state tax, especially when so many, New York just went up on their state tax. So many others have kind of tweaked their, their, their state laws to, to make it more difficult to get out of state tax. Um, that's hugely appealing. And you really can't compete with a lifestyle argument on Florida, in my <laughs> Floridian opinion. Um, and I've lived all over the country. I've lived in Virginia. I've lived in California. I've been everywhere. There is a different kind of lifestyle here. It it does present, There's, I mean, it's the number one state for public parks. Like, it's you can't go anywhere else and find the number of just natural public parks that you get here. It's, well, I kind of thought the same thing, because that's part of the reason what drew me here. It wasn't for the, it was just, hey, it's 75 and sunny in February, and, you know, you can walk the beach when you want to, or you can go to these theme parks. There's just, there is a lot to do all within a very short drive. So I, mm -hmm. I agree 100% with that. I just wondered if there was industries that were drawing people in. There are some industries. I mean, we have some really large companies that are doing some pretty unique things to draw people need more people to work specifically i mean like i said the market is changing a little bit as far as who was coming last year and it's it's shifting and kind of taking a different shape this year we're getting a lot more hiring professionals um 
but there are some companies doing some pretty incredible things to try and get more people and to try and attract people here. Baptist Health is obviously a huge one, um, though they've been, you know, Bank of America, not so much because honestly, they sent a lot of people home to work and they're still kind of playing with their situation. Um, Mayo, Florida Blue, we have so many, Amazon is doing such big things here. You know, it, it, there's, so it's the healthcare market and then all the markets that support the healthcare market, which, you know, Jacksonville's been known for for a very long time. Then we've started gaining our financial legs, I guess. We were never known as like a financial savvy, you know, market where we, but that's kind of changed. We've been getting more of these financial institutes, you know, their legs here. And I think a lot moving from the Northeast is quality of life. They get cheaper employees here. The cost of living is less, so they're able to save. Uh, so, and these companies are, they need staff. They need people to run them. So they're getting more creative in the way that they draw people here to, to, to meet. If you're a financial institute and you're in Florida who has not been known for producing a lot of financial minds, You've got to be able to draw people here back from the Northeast that, you know, are experts in these specific sectors and these specific roles. And it seems that they're doing a good job. It's, you know, the, the fruits of their labor have started to pay off. Yeah. For us. Some of the networking groups that I'm, I'm in, the, I'm in the chamber and I'm in another uh, uh, networking group, civic organization, and, and they always bring in people from the city who are constantly, they are hyper-focused on recruiting businesses from all over the country to bring them here like they did with Amazon and with other companies. And, you know, they might not be huge companies, but they're talking about a couple hundred employees here and several hundred employees there. The, uh, the port that they're improving on and they're deepening the waterways to get larger vessels in. And that's going to create a lot of opportunity for, for all kinds of people working in those industries. Yeah, I mean, just what you're talking about, the port, I mean, what Shad Khan is going to do downtown, all of these new development, pro it's, Jacksonville is going to be completely, I mean, like the, from what I know of Jacksonville being born and raised here in, in Arlington, you know, you drive through, the city, it does not look anything like it did even 10 years ago. Can you imagine in another 10 years with all of the approved plans that have been put into place and all of these different companies that have been already approve plans, budgets, everything in place to, to, to redevelop these areas that are, you know, ages old that, and we have, we have kind of like the, the roots, we have the beaches, we have the rivers, we have the road system, we have it all already, the infrastructure is there to build upon, it just has taken us maybe a little bit longer to kind of get the engine going, but now all of a sudden it seems like it's at full fledged, it feels like, you know, we are where Miami was, you know, in the 80s. Yeah, so how do you, how do you, sound the alarm or get get the the powers that be to to start building these class c um housing for for all the people that are going to need it and can't afford anything else we are personally taking on two development projects this year because we feel like we have to we're kind of going outside the box a little bit we're not going with typical you know construction template um and we're kind of rising away from, you know, right now the price per unit is so heavy and so high. It's difficult, to, especially when you're talking about C-class housing, all of a sudden it's price like, you know, B and A-class housing. Uh, and I understand because occupancy-wise, we've never seen numbers like this. Like even with COVID going on, our collection numbers are great. 
we're raising rents because it's Wednesday and we don't have much available. You know, I have one property I raised rents on three times in the last three weeks and I'm about to do it again tomorrow. So I understand why everybody's kind of just like, well, the trend is moving. It's throwing out, you know, gold coins. Let me jump on it while I can. No fault to you. Absolutely. Grab it. But while we're thinking of these, we should be thinking about more long-term. And I think people need to, you know, we can jump on the bandwagon a little bit, keep one foot on planet earth, and let's maybe look at where the actual needs are coming in and let's meet that demand because it's going to be huge. I mean, you can't be the, the state with the number one growth in the country, the city with like the number one growth in the country and not be looking at who is coming in here and what do they need. Uh, and I think there are some businesses that are, and, and developers and investors who have identified this and are clearly pursuing it. I would like to see the city, you know, get a little bit more flexible and their ability to allow people to, to reutilize space. I think that is going to be utterly important for the future of our city. Um, and I think they will, because I think they realize that, that what they're going to be facing, I mean, we don't want to be LA. And that's exactly what's going to happen is we're going to outprice all of our influx of new residents if we don't give them more availability. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you brought up COVID and I was going to ask about that, like, how did it affect you? But you made it sound like it didn't. I was wondering, you know, with the what was the federal moratoriums that were in that gave people an ability to pause their rental payments? Did you see Worst it caught was probably last September. I think we had like 4% what we would call non-payers, like meaning for whatever reason, they had stopped paying and they were more than two months behind, which was, I mean, don't get me wrong, at the time it felt like the whole world was going to come down on us because that's like unheard of. Um, but no, we, we had to be flexible. You know, we, we, we waived late fees, month to month fees. We took payments, partial payments we would normally have never have taken. We kind of took it situation by situation, did the best we could with each circumstance. Um, negotiated, negotiated some more. Um, we had great attorneys that, that, that worked with us. And I feel like we're on the other side of it. Now we kind of have more like funds out there. So people who aren't necessarily in real struggle from COVID, don't get me wrong, they've been hit to some degree, but not destitute from COVID are leaning on these third parties who are paying their rent up for two, three months in advance. There's one organization paying like 12 months. Um, so you almost have a little bit of this different circumstance. It's like the resident can pay, but they want to push the envelope and see why not if there's all this free money that I kind of, you know, it's kind of putting us in a different zone, but they're not going to eviction. And if they get denied, they're coming in and paying their rent because they see the housing market is so scarce right now. They can't lose their house. Um, so we're not running into a lot of like COVID troubles. I mean, the ones that were protected under the CDC, we had some that, I mean, it was, it got really bad. They, they ran up really large debts and then we had to write off those debts. So like kill our one resident, like kill our financials for the month because we'd have to write off like nine, 10 grand from this one resident who'd been CDC protected for nine months. Um, but that's over. So it's, it's kind of coming back into to focus and looking like it did pre-COVID a bit. Yeah, so it seemed, it seemed a little bit more scary at first, but the reality is you're right. I mean, you, it's really hard to find anything at all. And it, it you know, those it, it affected prices right at the beginning of it and it sort of affected yeah. rental rates too right at the beginning of it. And now yeah, obviously both are taken off at this point. 
Yeah. He didn't know what was coming. So even myself, like I look back and I'm like, man, I shouldn't have panicked so much because like I froze my, my rental rates. I didn't raise rates for like four months, which is unheard of. You know, we, we allowed a lot of people to stay month to month because it was easier to get them out if they were month to month on a holdover eviction. So we had to be very creative and we did what was best at the time with the information that we had. And I think we, we navigated fairly well, hindsight being 2020. I wish I would have been more aggressive on my hands at the time, but we just didn't know what was coming. We didn't know how long that moratorium was going to last. We didn't know, you know, what situation it was ever changing and evolving. And, you know, we all had to become like mini lawyers overnight and try and navigate the Centers for Disease Control, managing our evictions. And how does that even happen? But (laughs) what do you have to do with our eviction? But hopefully we're on to a new day and won't have to go back there again, maybe. It'd be lovely. Yeah. What are, um, I don't know, what are are some other things that uh, you're finding interesting in the industry or what you're seeing besides the the need for the c-class what are some other interesting aspects of um, real estate rental market in jacksonville show your maintenance technicians some love because they are not easily replaceable and people are realizing how valuable they are. I mean, I've got people driving my properties, they'll see a golf cart and they'll park behind the golf cart and wait for the maintenance guy to come out and offer him just crazy money to leave. Like, because they're in such desperate restraints. Contractors are having a hard time staffing. So it's not like, you know, a year, two years ago where you were down a maintenance guy for a month, you just call a contractor in to take care. No, they're short staffed. So like staffing companies don't have staffing. Like, so you need to love your people, (laughs) you know, like, and they were always the key to success, especially if you were talking about C-class assets, it's, they were always the key. And and I think it's just become more, more prevalent in this economy where, where skilled labor, manual skilled labor has become like the new the new golden ticket. Like if, if you really know plumbing, if you really know carpentry, you are sitting on winning lotto ticket at this time. It's not about understanding finance anymore. It's about understanding, you know, stacks and supply lines. You know, that's where the money is going to be because we're just not getting enough people into these, you know, when I was in school, we had trade schools. People learned how to work on mechanical cars. They learned how to cut wood and, and carpentry. And we just don't have those anymore. Like, you know, there's no skill centers left. I 100% I agree with you. I this generation when I say the kid my kids and their boyfriends I'm like I don't think you're listening to me. Nobody wants to do this job, so that's where you go. You go where everybody else doesn't want to be because that's going to be in such high demand. You can write your own ticket and then you just have to be able to attract and gravitate other people towards your team and your organization that can grow with you, but that you exact you totally want to go where everybody else is not. That's right. Don't laugh at the plumbers. They're don't. Oh my gosh. That plumber is going to own your block by a couple more years because there's just not enough skilled labor labor coming into this market. And, and, and honestly, the generational thing, like my kids at their age, I knew how to cut a yard. I mean, I I had, we we did manual labor. My kids had no idea how to start a lawn. I'm guilty of the same offense that like, I'm, you know, complaining about, but Unfortunately, it's but they can download anything at any time, at any moment. Right now, and have it delivered tomorrow. 
Okay. That's right. Like, but that's not going to be the future. The future is going to be the guy that you can call that actually has resources to get somebody in to make a repair, to do the work. That's where we're going to, we need to start training our young people on, on manual labor. You still need somebody to fix the house that you live in. And even when the cars go fully electric, they still have to change tires and, you know, clean. And mm-hmm. All of that stuff isn't going anywhere. That can't be outsourced. That's right. Yeah, no, I literally spent um, Saturday with my daughter changing, trying to change the wiper blades on the car, going to the car wash <laughs> ourselves, washing the car, vacuuming it out, doing the mats, um, air filters. Now they have an air filter in the, in the engine compartment and in the cabin. So, oh, and we just went over just, just several of these things. And of course, she doesn't want to do it. She just thinks, I just pay somebody to do that. What? But what happens when there's nobody to show up? Right. That's what I see. I, 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 yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother subject we can get into. I, I could spend forever there because I actually think that's the next, we see housing crunch right now, right? But the labor, the writing's on the wall for the labor crunch. And I'm saying, where are all these guys going? But, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't make money off of a YouTube channel or mm-hmm. a TikTok or, you know, and these kids all were TikTok famous. <laughs> so it's like, guys, somebody's got to do this. And do you know how much income that career can make? That's Tell me what else you want to do. And they'll say, oh, I want to do this. It's like, okay, that's what that pays. And this is like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, it doesn't require any school. You have some common sense you can put together. And so do you see this business? And you're like, yeah, it's like, do you want to know how much that guy makes? Because right. I'll tell you. <laughs> But do you remember in school, like we used to have a class that like explained this stuff to you and like economics, they mm-hmm. went through and said, these are the, the most popular fields in the US. Here's the starting pay, here's the tenure pay, here's the pay. We need this back. We need to, inf- you all can't be computer programmers or professional gamers or YouTube stars. Like there's only like two YouTube stars now. I don't know how we're going to make that 2 billion. So we got, we got to look for, for just exactly what you're saying, but that, so like out of all the information that, that's coming to these young people, they're not getting the important stuff, the stuff that actually does shape our greater economy, you know, our, our country's economy, the world economy, the things that are going to matter in 10 years. When the baby boomers retire, I don't even want to think about that. Like that is going to be, uh, I don't even want to consider it because we're, we're in trouble. Thanks, Lisa. This has been really great and informative. We appreciate your stopping by and chatting with us today. Before we go, um, how can people reach you, social media, the office number, whatever you want to give for people to get in contact with you? Lofty Assets is on, basically, we have our own marketing director who's fabulous. Uh, So we're across almost all social media platforms. Uh, We also have our website, www.loftyasset.com. Loftyasset.com. There's contact card. You can reach me directly. Uh, Happy to hear from you guys. Great. Again, we appreciate it. Um, Folks, uh, to see more of our videos and podcasts, uh, check us out on Facebook at Property Pros Podcast or our YouTube channel, also Property Pros Podcast. Until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you.